welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello and welcome back, you guys. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. Hello. Hi. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm amazing, Sarah. How are you? Doing great, grand, magical, majestic. I'm just throwing out all the words. But yes, it's been a it's been a great day. So good. Oh. <laughs> We're yes. so awkward. We're always awkward. It's a thing. I feel like the the longer we've been in lockdown, the more awkward we've become. And it just like keeps manifesting in the podcast. Like, I am so awkward, you guys. I'm sorry. Hopefully people can relate. Um, so I'm pretty sure it's just us, Katie. I'm pretty sure it's literally just us. Everyone else in the whole world is actually socially very normal. Um, I have some announcements we can talk about. Uh, Ooh, we have we have two new patrons. Um, Serena, hello, Serena. Thank you, Hi, Serena. Thanks for joining. I love your name. Yeah, me too. And then we also have someone that is, they put in their company name, which is the Exmo Candle Company, which Ooh. is so cool. I uh, I went and looked at their website. They don't have, I don't think they have any candles yet, but it says they're coming spring of 2021. And I'm very excited about ex-Mormon candles. So Keep us updated, and thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for joining, and please, if I can put in a special request, make the names of the candles so great. Like, one candle could be Mormon Homes, because, you know, they have a smell. (gasps) Yeah. Um, Oh, man, there's so many good ones. Like, Smells Like Sin. I'm, you know, like, (laughs) that's a good one. Either way, I'm so excited about this. And hopefully, um, if you don't ship internationally, I'm just going to have to, like, stock up the next time I'm in the States and bring them back. I love candles. Lovely idea. Burning like a fire in the bosom. (laughs) (laughs) This could go all day. You know I'm a huge pond fan, and Katie is as well. That's why we're even more nerdy than usual people. (laughs) Um, I love a pun. Love it. Love a pun. So those are my announcements. Do you have anything else? I don't, other than a huge shout out to everyone who responded to the last episode about um, our comments and reactions to murder among Mormons slash cross that out, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. (laughs) Which Katie, I have to give her credit. She is the like meme queen. And when oh, she came you. up with that, I saw it and I couldn't stop giggling. Like it was brilliant. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really liked everyone's reactions to that. I felt like a lot of you felt similarly to us. So it was really validating getting your messages back. Um, and yeah, knowing that you enjoyed the episode. So thank you. Yeah, it was great. And I can't wait to play Celestial Trivia. Um, <gasps> Celestial Pursuit. Or Pursuit. That's what it was. Girl, I am i shouldn't say too much, but I think I might be able to get my hands on some because of a listener. Um, things are still kind of in the works, so I'm not going to say anything too much, but we might be able to get some cards. So <laughs> hopefully. Patreon episode. Pray to Celestial Jesus that it works out because that would be hilarious. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Okay. Well, 
we're ready to get into our episode today, which is going to be and we have a special guest, Kayla. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Kayla. Hi. Thank you for having me on the show. I've been like super nervous, but excited. And I can definitely relate to the awkwardness. So <laughs> that's another thing I'm nervous about. So hopefully I don't add too much of that. Or maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. I think it's a good thing. I think, you know, everyone enjoys the awkwardness that we, we put out, those vibes, you know. I think it radiates through their earbuds and they're just like, yes, awkwardness. <laughs> Love it. We're all uh, awkward. Um, <laughs> we're so happy to have Kayla on the show. She is a patron and she, a while ago, sent us this incredible email that made both Sarah and I cry. And we <laughs> want her to tell her story. So I think the way we're going to format this is that Kayla is going to read her story and we're going to pause and talk about it. Uh, as she goes along. So and by pause, I mean more like me interrupting. So I'm so sorry, Kayla. Just, you know, you can tell me to shut <laughs> up if I interrupt. I just get really excited and passionate, but I understand it's annoying. So you can be like, stop it. Let no, me it's my damn sentence. It's then. not annoying at all. Please interrupt me because I don't want to just like listen to myself talk. So it'd be good but for you to accent. <laughs> we all want to listen to you talk. So. <laughs> Please do. Super cute voice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. Do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Like give us a little background on who Kayla is before we go into your story. Sure. Um, so I'm Kayla. I live in Michigan. I'm 33 years old. I'm a teacher. I'm graduating with my master's in May. So Yay! I'm super excited about that. Um, I have been out of the church for three years now. Yay. So um, it's been a, a roller coaster, but I feel like I'm in the best place of my life because of this. So, Good. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> a little bit about me. <laughs> and really awesome. Like, congrats to you for, I mean, first of all, being a teacher, I have the most respect for teachers. Oh. Same. Yeah. I try to do it for a hot second and I just couldn't do it. And I was like, I take my hat off and my bra off to every woman. Like that is amazing. And man, who's a teacher. Um, and also the fact that you're getting your master's. That's amazing. Congrats on that. That's a huge accomplishment. So thank well you. And I'm a single mom. So that's like oh. me getting the master's like 10 times longer, but you I have, like, the it. best son in the world, so <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. Those are three really huge accomplishments, so well done to you. I just took my bra off to you. You're welcome. I didn't uh, even have a bra <laughs> to begin with, so. I'm so impressed, Katie. I have to because they're like, yeah, we won't get into it, but it's painful now not wearing it. <laughs> like, the older you get, the saggier they become, and it's just painful. Oh my god. Anyway. Anyways, I ruined your moment, Kayla. I ruined your special moment because you did not. I talking about my saggy tits. I apologize. You let uh, those titties be free. Yeah. <laughs> free the titties. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag International Women's Day all month. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> 
Okay, well, should we get into your story? It's you guys, we just have to emphasize again, it's so well written. It's like, I don't know if you plan on writing in the future, Kayla, but you should. I yeah. was enthralled with the whole thing. Like, I just read through it so fast and was like, wow, I can't believe this is over. But it also hit like every emotional point of the story it was just really well written so I'm excited and don't feel pressured because if you just read it it's gonna be amazing and we're gonna chat about it so we can't well before I start I just want to give a trigger warning because I do talk a little bit about sexual abuse um so if anyone struggles with that and they're not ready to um, hear about that. I just wanted to put that out there because I don't want to trigger anyone. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, for doing that. Okay, do you want me to just start? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, sexual sin is the worst sin next to murder. Most people don't vividly remember the first time they heard that. I do. I was seven years old and going through the missionary discussions before getting baptized. We came to the discussion about the law of chastity, and that is what they said to me. I remember my whole world crashing in that moment. I believed I was going to hell because I had already committed sexual sin, and I put that in quotes. Um, I started getting molested at the age of five by a neighbor of mine. I didn't know I was a victim at that age and thought it was my fault because I didn't know how to say no. From that moment on, I hated going to church and never felt worthy. I lived with constant shame and guilt. Oh, my God. I think we should pause there because I just, yeah, that's already so much. And I know it doesn't mean much, but so I'm so sorry that you even had to experience that. And also, I that's such a young age, seven years old, to be told that sexual sin is the worst sin next to murder because I don't even think I was that young when I heard that. I don't think I was either. I'm I'm speechless, but also I just want to yeah. say yeah. I'm very sorry. Like, I know that Katie and I can say we're sorry, and it's not going to take that away, but we're sorry that you had to go through that. That's, yeah. Was the, the so these were, the, like, the missionary discussions before you were getting baptized, right? Yeah, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to explain a little to like maybe our not never Mormon listeners is that this happens to, yeah for little children before they get baptized they have to go through these interviews and they're questioned about things like this uh, and I guess it depends on who questions you were the exact person or maybe time or neighborhood or whatever but that's so inappropriate and damaging that my brain almost can't function when I think of it it makes me so upset so I'm so sorry it's absolutely <sighs> horrible and I, I didn't realize and maybe correct me if I'm wrong um was like were your parents converting or was this just part of the process in most churches because I you know like Georgia is like totally its own thing like it's not like Utah where you know the Mormon religion is quite um it's everywhere so like some anyways what I'm trying to say is was it um like your parents were converting and that's why you had to meet with the missionaries or is that standard that you meet with the missionaries before you get baptized even if you grow up in the church so 
It's not standard. And my parents are longtime members. My um, mom has like uh, pioneer ancestors. Ooh. And then my dad's parents uh, were converts. Um, but my own parents just liked the idea of their kids going through the missionary discussions like converts do so that we could have like a full understanding before we got baptized. But I don't know how much of a full understanding you can have at seven years old, because obviously the only thing I took away from that was that I was this evil person going to hell. Oh, uh, Oh, God. <laughs> and like uh, looking at it too, like missionaries are like awkward 19 year old boys. And I'm assuming they just like probably read that statement to me. And like, I don't, I don't remember them going into detail about what that meant. So it probably was like my parents that did after they left. But mm-hmm. then like, as that sat with me, that's like when I realized like what I had been doing or what had been being done to me was this quote-unquote sexual sin that they're talking about. So this this neighbor of yours that was molesting you, was this person a member of the church? He was not. Um, they, they lived a couple houses down from us and were really okay. good friends with my parents. So oh, and- they babysat us a lot, and oh, my, my parents babysat their children a lot. Oh, God, it's awful. I'm sorry. Well, it's not okay, but I'm healing from it. And this yeah. process yeah. and being on this podcast is actually helping me heal even more. So thank you. Oh, oh. Thank you. Nice I'm, I'm sure that this, you speaking out and telling your story and the listeners that we have and how many people listen to our podcast each week, like that's how many people you're going to be impacting for the better. Like this is an example of showing how brave you are and how you're willing to get through this for yourself, but also to help so many other people who may or may not have gone through something similar, but they can relate on some level. So kudos to you. Like all Mm -hmm. the thanks goes to you, not us. Um, (laughs) So we appreciate it. Well, I wanted to share before I continue the story, but I had gone over this with my therapist before um, coming on this podcast. And like the last time we talked about it, like a week and a half ago, I was like in tears at the end. And like, I cry a lot. So I, it's not out of the ordinary to cry during therapy, but it was the first time they weren't sad tears. It was almost like I felt empowered and I felt like I was finally moving towards a survivor as opposed to a victim. Like I was taking mm-hmm. control and using this awful thing that happened to me to hopefully help other people. And that made me feel good. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Now I have tears though and they're happy tears. So thank you. That's, oh, that's amazing. We're not even that far into it yet. I know. So. Can't start crying yet. <laughs> the end of it I'm just gonna be sobbing but yes please let's keep going it's it's yeah okay I'm sexual- awkward. <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um the sexual abuse continued until I was 14 when we moved to a new house my shame and guilt had grown even more because I still didn't look at myself as a victim of sexual abuse and just looked at myself as someone who was going to hell for committing sexual sin <clears throat> excuse me 
I had lied in multiple bishops' interviews when they asked if I had broken the law of chastity, which added to the shame and guilt because now not only did I see myself as a whore, but I also saw myself as a liar. But I felt like the shame would be even worse if anyone knew what I had done. My parents were extremely judgmental and authoritarian, and I knew that that would add to the shame if they ever found out. It also didn't help that as a teen, it seemed as though almost all of our Sunday school lessons had to do with being sexually pure. They would say things like, no man will ever want a wife who has damaged goods. I remember a few gross object lessons where we were given a piece of gum. We were told to chew it up, then pull it out of our mouths and look at it. They asked us if we could ever make it go back to how it was before it was chewed up and then told us that we can never go back from sexual sin and that a good righteous man wouldn't want an already chewed up piece of gum. I looked at myself with shame during that lesson thinking no one would ever want me because I had been a chewed up piece of gum since the age of five. Yeah. Let me just stop there because that's, oh. that's a lot to take in. And it's also, as we've mentioned, you know, your story is going to relate on some level to many people. And I, again, just want to emphasize, I'm really sorry that you ever went through that and you had that shame until that age and you had the sexual abuse continued until you're 14 but then you have the church telling you that you're damaged goods with that stupid motherfucking lesson I hated that lesson mm -hmm. um I remember getting it in institute and it wasn't even at um not institute sorry seminary it wasn't even in women it was in seminary when we had one of those lessons about chastity and it was in the script I don't even remember what scripture it was um, but when they they did that lesson, I just felt so angry, I think, at that point, like because I had not, you know, I, I had masturbated, but I had never done anything other than that. And even that, it just made me feel angry that we were being compared to a piece of chewed up bubble gum and that no one would want it. Up. Like no one would want us and that for women. All our value is placed on the fact that we're chaste and virtuous and that was all we we're good for. But then obviously that anger changes into guilt thinking like I now have this pressure to never let anyone touch me because I have to be as pure as possible, which is just ridiculous. When I also, I also wonder like if the boys got lessons like this in young men's, cause I remember getting it in young women's only. Mm. And like, it just is ironic that like, they just like have that mentality of, oh, boys will be boys. And like, even though it's a sin, like a girl will still want them even if they screw up. But if a girl screws up, then no man's going to want her. That's fucking patriarchy. It's, it's so shitty. It's like women's or girls' virginity is somehow, which virginity is just a stupid concept anyway, but it's like mm -hmm. theirs needs to be quote unquote intact and like their virginity is on this pedestal where it's like a boy can have sex and nothing changes to them. It's just so mm -hmm. uh, imbalanced and shitty. I hate it. It's so true though. Like that's a really good point that you make because we obviously got these lessons all the time in, in young women. And now that I'm thinking about it in seminary, because I was like thinking, oh, I, had, I learned about this in seminary. Were there any boys? But I had seminary completely by myself for two years. Like it was just me and the teacher. And the teacher was a woman. Um, 
Yeah. So that's a good point. They don't get that. Like, I mean, I, I even remember like talking about it in high school or like in college, like as a joke, like trying to be like a badass Mormon, which Katie knows I was not (laughs) talking about sex, you know, I mean like, Oh, I wouldn't mind if my future husband like was a convert because then he'd be like good in bed. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but I remember saying that and like everyone being like, yeah, you know, like it was totally acceptable for the man to not be quote unquote virtuous, but like the thought of a, a Mormon woman not being, it was like, Exactly as they taught it. Yeah. Like no one wanted it. I had an object lesson like that once where the teacher, and it wasn't young women's, it wasn't in like a mixed class, it was only for the young women, where they had a piece of um, masking tape and they had us all like pass it around and stick it to our clothes and then peel it off. And by the last girl she it wouldn't stick to her because you know it'd like been stuck on everyone else and the teacher was saying how that's what would happen to you if you have sex with multiple people by the time you get to your quote-unquote one true love or your eternal companion you won't stick together because you've already been stuck to so many other people (gasps) wow so bad it's just so fucking awful I hate it Well, and, like, the other thing that really bothers me is, like, not only is this, like, awful to just say to children in general, but, like, they never take into account, like, how many children have been either sexually abused or sexually assaulted. I think, like, the statistics are, like, one in four women, and a lot of times it happens when they're kids, and so even if they weren't choosing to do that like they're going to take these object lessons the way that I took them mm-hmm. that that I was this damaged goods and blaming myself for something that a 40 year old man did Ugh. and yeah putting that blame and that guilt on you because you don't know like you didn't have the knowledge or the education at that point to like differentiate what that was and then you think that you're committing some sin when actually no it was an act of violence against you uh yeah and that distinction isn't made yeah you're so right I think that's a really good thing I just want to emphasize again because that's a an incredible point that you just bring up one in four women is this the correct thing that you just said one in four women Mm -hmm. sexually abused as a child yeah. Well, it just like has been sexually assaulted in their lifetime. So that in could include lifetime. people who were children when it happened, but still a high know, number. That's a high number. And when you think about the number of women in the Mormon church and the fact that these lessons are taught from the young age, as you you've pointed out, the young age of seven, even sometimes earlier, until you're basically dead. Like this is something that they always teach throughout your life. And the fact that we emphasize oh so many times in in our podcast that these teachers or instructors or people in leadership positions are not trained. They should not be teaching subjects like this if they don't have a background (laughs) on how to handle, you know, first of all, these subjects should never be taught in the first place. But it's even also a point to mention that these 19-year-old missionaries are teaching you this stuff, and they don't have a clue about what they're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's incredible in a bad way, in a negative way, 
that this is something that is regularly taught to Mormons and especially for women. And there's just this clear overlook of the fact that so many women do have these past trauma and that's obviously going to be trigger. And then additionally, even if they don't have a past trauma like this or a trigger, it's still an issue. Like it's going to develop into something, a negative way of thinking about themselves. So either way, it's just, yeah, it's a clusterfuck of damage. I don't know how else to say it, but that's what it is. Exactly. That perfectly said, a clusterfuck of damage for real. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So should I continue on? Yes, please. Okay. Around this time, I became obsessed with having a boyfriend. I just wanted to be loved and thought if someone else loved me, then maybe I wouldn't hate myself so much. I went through a promiscuous phase starting at the age of 15. Um, And just to clarify, my quote unquote promiscuous phase was like, like hand jobs and fingering. And this is what I was slaughtered for as I go on. So I like hadn't even lost my virginity, but you know. Anyways, well, yeah, um, but they, they frame that in the church to be like just as bad almost. Oh, yeah, touching someone's privates or they're touching yours. It's like you, you're the damaged goods. It's mm-hmm. it's so silly, but so true. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I felt like I'm already going to hell for this, so why not? If this is what will make them love me and not leave me. Instead, what I got from that was being cheated on, dumped, and called a slut or whore. They definitely added to the shame, guilt, and low self-esteem. To make matters worse, my dad, who's an IT guy, was able to somehow access my old AOL Instant Messenger conversations. So for you young ones, AOL Instant (laughs) Messenger was like our version of texting on the computer. (laughs) It was life back in the day. Yeah. You connected with everyone cool. (laughs) Exactly. And it taught you patience. When that dial-up hit, you were like, oh, Oh, geez, it's going to be here a while, but once it's up, we're good to go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So anyways, he was able to find every conversation I'd had on AOL Instant Messenger. And through those conversations, he found out that I had been fooling around with boys. So when my parents found that out, I came home from school one day and found the following on my bed, a bunch of general conference talks, the Miracle Forgiveness book, which I know you guys have an episode on, (laughs) and a letter from my parents saying how disappointed and disgusted they were with me and how they were worried about my salvation. The conference talks repeated the phrase, sexual sin is the worst sin next to murder, which obviously was extremely triggering for me, mm-hmm. and used gross t- terminology like necking and petting. I cringe every time I say that. Yeah. And talked about how there was no way back except through serious repentance, which meant meeting with the bishop and not taking the sacrament. Hello, public shame. Oh, my God. I feel like there's so much in this section that we can also talk about. I think, yeah, like you said, we we've covered the Miracle of Forgiveness book on an episode and we got a lot of shit from active Mormons about that. Someone even gave us a bad like iTunes review about it because they (laughs) said like that the church doesn't use that book anymore. And 
Okay. Granted, we, we are in our 30s, but like we're not that old people. And yeah. this happened in our teenager teenage years. And we know lots of you listeners have reached out and said how damaging and terrible this book was because you were forced to read it just like Kayla. And so I just want to reiterate to any, if a Mormon tells you that this book isn't in Mormon households anymore, that's just not true because it is. It's not. And and not even just in our teens. Like I'm, you know, 32 and I remember like reading this at BYU and also when I was about 24, 25, like it was suggested to me from people in the church, especially when I was preparing to go through the temple, which is about age 26. So this wow. was quite long ago, like this, wow. you know, the last 10 years. So um, yeah. And, and another thing I want to bring up too is is the fact that your dad went through your AOL instant messenger chats. like. Do you guys remember, I think it was Hinckley, President Hinckley, who told everyone that the computer should be, like, in an open room so that, like, you couldn't get in trouble and, like, a computer and laptop shouldn't be in a a separate bedroom. And my my dad, obviously, as I mentioned, is not Mormon, but my mom was, like, very strict on that rule. And our computer had to be in the dining room. And when I came home from school, she would like make a point to sit at the table most days, not every day, um, just so she could like check over any, any time to see like I was chatting. It's just, it's part of the Mormon thing, like this lack of trust and like the internet is going and like chatting online is going to lead to you know, the quote, you know, quote unquote, worse sin beside murder, you know, and it's just, mm. yeah, really the, the internet is totally demonized. And yeah, I think that I, my privacy was definitely violated uh, as a teenager. I mean, I think I grew up just thinking that like, kids and teens don't deserve privacy because of how I was taught in the Mormon church. And then how, you know, the way that my family worked was very much like they check on everything you do, which I think there is something to that, like parents check on their kids. But yeah, the lack of trust mm-hmm. is definitely mm-hmm. like a thing in that very religious uh, household. But I also, oh, sorry. You don't get any trust as a kid or as a teen. And then if you quote unquote screw up, then that trust is just gone forever. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gone forever, and then as you say, like then it's put on public display. Yeah. Um, which is as a teen, I mean, at any point in your life, any type of public shaming is damaging and harmful. But as a teen, those are like your developmental years, and that shit sticks with you, and it's it's yeah, it's tough. Like I can't, like we, I mean, obviously, again, my my situation is very small in comparison to what you had to go through. But I remember just like drinking in high school and feeling so guilty about that. Um, and when I met with the bishop to like talk about it, I lied too, because I was like, I can't let my mom know that I'm not taking the sacrament because our we had a branch at the time. So it was like a mm. really tiny congregation of like 50 people so if I didn't take the sacrament everyone knew I was doing something bad and so I just lied I was like nope good yeah I don't want to tell you that I was drinking and blah 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 but as you mentioned it's just like something yeah that that public shame is a huge factor and especially when you're in your youth your adolescence it's yeah 
when they yeah. have like teenage boys passing the sacrament yeah. so even yeah. though they're not supposed to tell anyone who's not taking the sacrament they do of course yeah oh yeah you can tell and people are all around you and looking at you and I just I kind of just want to reiterate this whole situation here not only have you been horribly abused and you have carried the shame and guilt then you're doing a very normal uh, teenage activity in like kind of fooling around with like guys your own age like that's pretty normal yet <laughs> your dad like spies on you essentially and discovers what you're doing and then force essentially forces you because of the Mormon teachings that you need to go to the bishop and then at, after that everyone knows because you're not taking the sacrament so like you said and it's all because of something like very normal but we were taught it was so bad it's just crazy <laughs> yeah like I feel like I could have like done drugs or um I don't know robbed a bank and my parents would have looked at me better I could have been locked up in yeah. juvie and they would have thought I was a better person than for giving a guy a hand job yeah holy shit Kayla I just got goosebumps that's like that's like so true it really is so true. Wow. Oh, and God. not to not to put down anyone who has been in juvie. I teach at a juvenile home, and I love all those kids. So I didn't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> no, no, of course. But I think it's just highlighting the severity and and how like Mormon parents, you know, are so focused, and not even just parents, but the Mormon religion on sexual sin. Like that is the most severe and horrible thing you could possibly do in your life when in reality it's normal there's nothing bad about it and it's like I also feel like sometimes a bit like the 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 shaming and everything that even though we're working through it and we also we obviously realize that that's not a thing that you know having sexual relations if they're with consent that are healthy it's it's normal and that's okay but there's still moments where I think like oh, like, what, am I going to be judgy if, like, my future kids, like, if I catch them doing something, am I going to, like, make them feel that way? Because it's that still that instant reaction of, like, the Mormon way of being, like, that's bad. They shouldn't do that. Um, whereas when I see, like, my boyfriend talking about how he grew up in an atheist home where, like, it was, you know, I, I talked to him, I'm like, well, how did your parents do? Like, you had girlfriends at, like, 16, and, you know, you went on, like, family trips and stuff with them, and, like, that would have been such a taboo thing to do in the Mormon church like you can't go on holiday and share a room with your girlfriend like you can't do mm -hmm. that and it's just like well it was just normal my parents talked to me about sex like it was a normal thing like I've he never had this experience that we've all gone through with the Mormon church but it just shows like how healthy uh, like parents should address like uh sex in general and something that Obviously, we, I'm assuming all three of us in future situations would want to do that as well. But it's a bit like, I, I get a bit worried that that teaching is still going to creep up. And that's going to be something that you come like carries with you throughout your whole life of having that slightly judgmental stance on youth and sex, like having that negative connotation because of the church. Yeah, I, 
I've thought about that so much, like, mm -hmm. especially because I am a mom and I want to make sure that I don't shame my son at all for any of this. But then I'm worried, like, will my past come back of like just my natural instincts? But I think it also helps me that like where I work, I work with teenagers all day long and they are very open, almost too open about their lives and so I almost like get practice talking about it in a healthy way <laughs> um okay. nice. but, but then again they're not my own children I mean sometimes I feel like they are but I just I hope that I can take a step back when the time comes that I do talk to EJ about it and um that I don't bring off any of that judgment that was put on me yeah and I think you will I think you will too. And I also think it's important to note here, like there's not even, I just think the church focuses so much on sexual quote unquote sin, but they don't focus on like sexual violence or sexual abuse mm -hmm. about teaching how to, how that's wrong or how you can come forward and get help from that because it's all lumped into like very they, and it shouldn't be they're very separate things obviously but they any type of sexual contact whether it be consensual or not is kind of just lumped together which is extremely harmful mm -hmm. so yeah well, they have that men they have that mentality of like let's teach girls how not to get raped instead Ugh, yeah. let's teach boys not to rape girls and so right. if a girl is sexually assaulted a lot of times the first questions are what were you wearing were you drinking what were you doing how late were you out right yep yeah unfortunately that's and then blame okay. it on the holy ghost not being there because of something you did <sighs> oh i'm getting angry okay <laughs> Okay. The uh, next few months were terrible. My parents wouldn't look at me and barely spoke to me. I dreaded going to church because I knew everyone was going to start talking when they noticed that I wasn't allowed to take the sacrament. And I seriously dreaded meeting with the bishop every week. The bishop was around the same age as my abuser. So sitting in a room alone with a man in his 40s, talking in detail about my sex life when I was only 15 was extremely triggering for me. Then the stuff he gave me to read, like more conference talks and the miracle of forgiveness, made me feel even more disgusting and worse about myself. I decided that I couldn't handle doing this every week, that it wasn't worth the constant state of anxiety I was in. So I decided I was going to stop reading the stuff he gave me to read and say what I thought I was supposed to say to make it look like I had repented so that I could be quote unquote forgiven and wouldn't have to meet with him anymore and could take the sacrament again with everyone else. It was awful not being able to take the sacrament because the other youth were already talking about me because of it. To make matters worse, I think the bishop told his son why I was not taking the sacrament. That summer, I met a boy at EFY, which is a church camp, um, that I really liked, and he liked me back. Finally, a good Mormon guy and not these bad boys I was dating at school. Unfortunately, he was in the same EFY group as my bishop's son. And when he told him that he liked me, the bishop's son informed him that I was breaking the law of chastity with lots of boys at school just a few months prior. 
the only way he would have known exactly why I was seeing the bishop is if his dad told him because I refused to tell even my best friend at church. They all knew I couldn't take the sacrament, but I didn't tell anyone why. Aren't bishops supposed to keep that shit confidential? Again, the guilt and shame crept back in and surprise, surprise, my EFY crush wanted nothing to do with me after hearing about that. Oh, oh my God. The I like how that touches on like the gossip culture too of <laughs> the church and how you're ostracized so much when honestly probably a lot of those kids were doing maybe some kind of similar sexual activity. They were all masturbating we know that yet mm-hmm. they just lie or don't get quote-unquote caught and um they take the sacrament and then feel like they're better than you and exactly. yeah it sucks I'm sorry and unfortunately it's not even just at a young age at EFY like I know at BYU it was very common to judge like to spread these rumors like oh so and so um, our NICMO partners, which for <laughs> non that's like can stands for non-committal makeout sessions. It's like, <laughs> so cringy. It's so cringy. And so like the Mormon version of fuck buddies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And if you are one of those girls, then no guy, like no righteous Mormon guy who would would get married to you. Like you were just deemed as like the girl who you fool around with, but you don't get married. And by fool around, I mean like pecking. Like let's be honest. Like it wasn't <laughs> a heavy makeout session. But you know, it was like very common and like super judgy along like among the the women in my ward at BYU. And I will be the first to say I was guilty of doing it as well. Like, you know, listening in, be like, oh, God, yeah, I remember seeing, like, so-and-so in their apartment. And, like, I heard that they're just, like, make-out buddies and blah, blah, blah. And just, like, really being awful about it. Like, spreading that gossip. And also, like, especially amongst women, it was like, you know, it was like something to bond over, which is horrible. Like, we get enough shit for men as it is. Like, that should be a place, like a safe space for women to not feel like they're judged by everyone else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We got to do an episode on internalized misogyny because, damn, did I have to go through that, too, and Mm -hmm. learn, like, Um, yeah, stop judging all these other women when you're no better and we all need to help each other. But the patriarchy and the church especially like kind of pits you against each other and the gossip thrives in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, my plan to fake the repentance process well enough to make the bishop think I was better worked so I no longer had to meet with him. However, my guilt and shame got worse because I thought by faking the repentance process that meant that God still looked at me as a sinner and I was not forgiven, meaning I was still going to hell. That still felt better than the public shame that came with meeting with the bishop and everyone seeing that I couldn't take the sacrament. So I tried my hardest to be the best Mormon woman in every other aspect of my life in hopes that that would make up for my quote-unquote transgressions. No matter what I did, I couldn't shake the shame, guilt, depression, and anxiety that came with that. My senior year of high school, I started to think I would be better off dead. 
that started to scare me. So I finally came to my parents and told them I was depressed and wanted to see a counselor. Their first response was, are you sinning again? I told them no. So then their response was, well, then you must not be reading your scriptures and praying enough. God doesn't let his true followers to become depressed. So you must either be sinning or not doing enough of the Lord's work. I should have known better considering any time I would cry growing up, instead of asking me what was wrong, my dad would yell at me and tell me to go to my room until I was done crying. Probably why I never felt safe telling them that I was being molested. Anyways, I realized there would be more shame seeing a therapist and I tried to just sweep all the bad under the rug. It's wow. There's so much there. Um, yeah, I'm just sorry, trying to gather my thoughts, but they the stigmatization of mental health and placing the blame on you for having feelings of depression and anxiety and saying that you're not worthy, it's your fault. Uh, I I just don't even know what to say. It's awful. And I think that that's all too common in um, Mormonism and religion in general. And that's why a lot of people don't seek mental health because it's like more shameful, which it shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. And you don't feel like you can talk to anyone in the church about it. Like even if you have friends in the church or your parents or siblings, like it's just not a conversation that any, I mean, not I can't say every single Mormon family or Mormon person feels like this, but from my experience, it's not something you talk about. Mm-hmm. You don't talk about past trauma, your childhood, like things that were important. Like I never dealt with any of my shit until just after leaving the church. I always made a joke out of it. That was my way mm-hmm. of dealing with it. it was like, oh, okay, if I make it a joke, Me too. it didn't really happen. So I'm just going to be able to joke about this. And even with things later in my adult life, like with sexual assault or abuse, I just made it as a joke until someone pointed out, someone very important to me pointed out like, hey, that's that's actually not a joke. Like that's something that we should talk about and like you should go into detail with. And I just felt like, well, if I do that, then it's the same situation where I was traumatized in the past with Mormon men or like going to my bishop to talk about it and me getting the blame for something that was done to me and Mm -hmm. it's just something you just don't feel comfortable talking and of course these types of things are triggering and if you already like have depression or struggle with anxiety or any type of mental health it's it's going to just be amplified by about a hundred and you have nothing like no source of comfort or trust that you can in someone that you can confide in. And it's just a really unhealthy way and unfortunate. And especially within the church that anytime you might say that you're struggling with depression or anxiety, it's exactly the same experience that you had where it's like, Oh, well, you know, I was told, have you read the book of Mormon enough? (laughs) Oh right, that'll help me. Like it's, <laughs> I'll just read some more yeah. scriptures and miraculously, miraculously be better. Yeah, yeah. that never helped. <laughs> no, no. Um, and okay. it also just like it, it further encourages this idea that God is upset with you because obviously mm-hmm. you were reading the scriptures and praying enough and were righteous enough, then you wouldn't feel this way. 
So when you are feeling depressed or anxious, it's like, well, I'm not righteous enough and God's cursing me. The so punishment. then you spiral out. Yeah, you just get even further into a deeper state of anxiety or depression. It's it's really. Yeah. And like Sarah said, I mean, what you both said, it's just that also this culture where no one's talking about it. And we've touched on this quite a few times on the podcast, but everyone around you is kind of faking it as well. I mean, I know there are some genuinely probably super duper happy Mormons all the time, but a lot of people they experience a lot of the same stuff, but they shove it down and they cover it up with like doing their callings and praying more and appearing to be like the perfect Mormon woman when inside there it's festering and they're feeling these awful feelings of depression or whatever else it might be. But they can't, they don't even talk about it with their friends a lot of the time because it's so like stigmatized. Like you said, it's also like their fault it's like your fault and god um isn't blessing you with happiness because of something wrong you've done it's just outrageous and it's that toxic positivity yep we're not allowed to be sad or angry or you know not happy at, at a certain point in our life because you always have to be grateful and happy and if you're not then you're not righteous enough and so you just feel like you can't talk about anything serious or real because if you do, then people were like, oh, man, what a Debbie Downer. She's clearly not a Molly Mormon, you know, like she yeah, clearly don't person. have the Holy Ghost with you. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm just a human. I experience feelings. There's a thing called mental <laughs> health. Like, come on. Yeah. Well, and even like talking about how my dad would respond when I would cry, like, yeah, that was awful. But I have to like remember, too, that my dad was very much brainwashed into this religion of like you don't talk about negative feelings and so to him he probably thought he was doing the right thing like my daughter needs to be happy and crying is unacceptable and like that sounds horrible saying but it was very much indoctrinated in his brain too oh for sure 100 percent yep yep I also think like a couple years back that the church got some flack about um their stance on mental health because I remember a couple years before I left the church that I think it was Worthland gave a talk about mental health and like almost in like a positive way that it was okay um Mm -hmm. and then all these members were like oh the church is so progressive and they're (laughs) like accepting mental health now but like it was that one talk and then nothing changed in the culture nothing said like go to therapy or um it's okay to be on medication it was just kind of like it's okay if you have anxiety or depression but still pray more and read your scriptures I mean I'd have to read the talk again but I just remember like nothing changed in the culture it was almost just like a PR thing of like we don't want to look bad that <laughs> I was gonna say it's definitely seems like another PR move they want to look really good in the you know, in the media and to the rest of the world. And so they'll have these little glimpses of quote unquote being progressive, but nothing actually changes. No, definitely <laughs> not. Um, I went off to college and towards the end of college, married my high school boyfriend. I thought my shame and guilt would finally subside after I got married. He actually decided to get baptized. So 
I was going to be sealed in the temple after all and was doing my best to be a quote-unquote good Mormon woman. However, those awful feelings came back when I was interviewed by my bishop to go to the temple. When he asked me if I had committed any sexual sins and if I had any transgressions that I should have repented for but had not, I again was put in the position to lie, but I knew if I told the truth, my whole family and friends would know because I would have to postpone our temple ceiling. So I lied again, which caused even more shame. Mm. It's like the um, the godly sorrow video yeah, cover. That's what I thought of. Yeah, it's like you either lie and you feel the shame inside uh, for something you shouldn't feel ashamed for, but uh, yeah, and or you tell the truth and then everyone knows and you have to cancel your temple wedding. Uh, yeah, I would have lied too. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, in that situation, even with watching that Godly Sorrow video, um, I was like putting myself in her shoes like a Mormon. And I was like, I would have totally lied. Like, there's no mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah. I no, mean, I, I lied yeah. a few. I mean, I yeah, I definitely lied in Bishop interviews more than once because I was too ashamed because I made the mistake of going to a bishop about sexual sin before, like as in masturbating or like with my um, one of the guys I was dating because I gave him blue balls and all that shit. Um, I was like, oh, I have to go and like repent. And because it was like so traumatizing and I felt so gross after like I it took me it really took a beating on my self-esteem and like how I saw myself. I just thought I was so disgusting that going forward, I was like, never again. So I would just lie about it. I was like, I'd rather deal with that guilt for lying than the other guilt that came with actually, quote unquote, confessing my sins, you know? Exactly. Definitely. (laughs) My next few years were rough. My mental health got really bad, but I finally started seeing a therapist. She was actually a pretty bad one and added to my shame, but that's another story. At least I finally started talking about my trauma, which led me to finding good therapists down the road. Anyways, those next few years, my PTSD, anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts were out of control. I finally realized that I was a victim of childhood sexual abuse and many other suppressed memories of that time resurfaced. You'd think some of my guilt and shame would have gone away since I finally knew that what happened to me as a child was not my fault. But instead, I continued to blame and hate myself for what I did in my teen years as a response to the sexual abuse as a child and hated that anytime I went to church, I felt that immense guilt about the quote unquote sin that I never fully repented of. I still thought I was going to hell. During this time, I was also in a terrible marriage where my husband was not understanding of what I was going through at all. I felt so alone, and the only thing keeping me from suicide was that I didn't want my son to be as fucked up as me by having a mom who committed sexual, or sorry, who committed suicide. Um, I continued to go to therapy in hopes that I would feel better. I was also taking grad classes during this time for school counseling. Um, I just want to say just about what I stated about being in a terrible marriage. Um, I don't think my ex-husband is a bad person at all. He's a good person. I think a lot of people don't know how to handle other people's mental health issues. And um, 
that's basically what derailed our marriage, but we are good co-parents and he's a great dad and I don't want to speak any ill will about him. Yeah, of course. I think that's completely fair enough. Like, and, and like you said, it's, it's hard, like with mental health, I think a lot of people, because it's still such a taboo thing to talk about. I mean, we've made some progress and things are better, but it's still, if you're in a relationship with a partner who struggles with these um, mental health issues or, you know, going through therapy and talking about things and having the roller coaster of emotions, it can be hard to handle. But obviously, there are ways that you can work through it. You know, it's just, unfortunately, a lot of people don't recognize that it's a mental health thing instead of it's just, oh, this person is unbearable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that unless we speak about it, like what you're doing right now, it's still going to have that mentality. And it's such a common, it's such a common thing. Like, I mean, me personally, I know my anxiety is a lot. And if I didn't have an understanding partner who also got it, I can imagine that it would be uh, seen as something that's not related to mental health, but maybe me just being unbearable at times. So that mm-hmm. that lack of empathy comes from a lack of understanding. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also want to say thank you for continuing to go to therapy. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm emotional. I'm sorry, but I'm just really happy that you're still here and you got through that, and um, you're still here for your son, mm-hmm. and that we're talking to you right now, and that you're. I mean, this story is so touching. So, sorry, I'm a little mm-hmm. emotional. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. I am too. And like, honestly, like my son is what saved my life. If I didn't have my son, I probably would have gone through it with it. Um, But it was just knowing what it would do to him if I would have gone through with it that stopped me from doing it. I'm so grateful for that. Not that a kid should ever be the person that saves you from your mental health issues, but, um, it's really what got me to get my shit together. Oh, I'm so glad. You're so brave. Like this story, it's, wow, Kayla, I'm, yeah, I don't even know what else to say other than thank you again. Um, and we're so happy we're talking to you right now. Thank you. Um, so during this time, I was also, I just started grad school and um, my degree is going to be in school counseling. And one of the classes I had to take um, was theories of counseling. And that is seriously what changed my life was this class. And it finally gave me the push to leave the church. So one day I was doing my weekly reading and I read a chapter on rational emotive behavior therapy And it was talking about how this theory views PTSD. And it said that two people could experience the same trauma and one could come out fine and the other could develop PTSD. And the reasoning for this is that it is not what happens to us that makes us traumatized, but our beliefs about what happened to us that causes us to become traumatized. Yeah, mind blowing. Sorry, I just... Yeah. (laughs) That, I mean, I when I sent this letter to you guys, I bolded that statement because that was the turning point for me. And I yeah. 
I just want to reread that because it it is mind-blowing. It's not what happens to us that makes us traumatized, but our beliefs about what happened to us that causes us to become traumatized. Um, My mind was blown. I realized that the constant shame and guilt that the Mormon church put on me all throughout my life is what caused my PTSD. Yes, it was terrible that I was molested, but my beliefs about myself after being molested are what caused my PTSD. I started to wonder if that happened to me and I wasn't a Mormon. Um, I wasn't in a Mormon family if I would have been comfortable telling my parents so it would have stopped sooner. Or maybe I would have gotten in therapy as a child to deal with it instead of waiting until I was 26. I also wondered if I wouldn't have blamed myself for the sexual abuse and never would have had to deal with those feelings of going to hell if I wasn't Mormon. Sexual abuse is horrible for anyone who experiences it and causes a great deal of damage. I just know that for me personally, my PTSD from the sexual abuse was caused by my Mormon beliefs and upbringing. I decided I was going to take a break from the church and see how I felt. After not going for a month, I realized my anxiety was starting to go down. During that time, I really started to question my beliefs and values and realized that my own personal beliefs and values did not align with the Mormon church. Your progressive Mormon episode episode really rang true for me because I thought I was one of those progressive Mormons. (laughs) (laughs) And I never really fit in either since I wanted a career in grad school and I was happy only having one child. I realized if I left this church, I could finally feel good about being me instead of never feeling good enough since I didn't fit into the cookie cutter Molly Mormon mom. I'm... Yeah. Wow. I'm just really, really impressed with you. And I'm going to keep saying it a thousand times, Caleb. You're fucking amazing and incredible. And the fact that you've gone through all of this shit and you still are in such a great, I don't want to say great place. That's obviously not what you were in. But the fact that you were able to recognize this in that class and say, Mm -hmm. hey, that's, that's me. That's what I'm going through right now. And the fact that I do have this trauma and I'm traumatized is because of the Mormon church and the fact that they put all of this blame on me saying that it was my fault. I was being molested. It was my fault that this happened to me. That's the reason it's, it's the Mormon church. It's your, the Mormon beliefs that you had bringing up like upbringing and uh, the family sometimes, I mean, obviously your parents are in it because they are brainwashed as well. So they, you know, mm-hmm. filter down those beliefs onto you as well and, and their actions growing up. But the fact that you realize all that and stop going to church is amazing. A lot yeah. of people don't yeah. have the strength to do that. And that's incredible. And I've never heard that before, that it's not what happens to us that makes us traumatized, but it's our beliefs about what happened to us that causes us to become traumatized. Like that, when you sent that to us, it changed how I thought about so many things. And I realized a lot about myself and mm-hmm. my own personal trauma. It's it's really mind-blowing. And I'm grateful that you shared that with us because I think a lot of people will will um relate to that quite a bit because it's so true mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah sorry i need to take a deep breath. Breath. mormon anymore what 
I said, and we're glad you're not a progressive Mormon anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know too. how we think about those. How we like, feel. <laughs> one of my best friends is in the LGBT community, and I don't know how she like loved me and accepted me when I was Mormon. And I know that Sarah, like you can yeah. relate to this because of your friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's been on the show. I can't remember his name. I'm so Definitely sorry. Definitely Jay. Yeah, Jay. 100%. Yes. And it's like, how, like, how could I be a part of this and like, to like love my friend, but then pay this church that hated her. And like, honestly, she was one of my biggest like supports when I left the church because she came from a very religious family and me leaving the church, like kind of related to like when she came out to her parents. And so she was just like very supportive and like understanding so even though she didn't understand like the mormon thing she just understood like the shame and guilt that religion does and like what that does to your relationship with your parents yeah definitely like it's isn't it incredible when you think about like the people in your life after you left the mormon church and as i've mentioned on a few episodes i've had to send out quite a few apology notes because i'm like (laughs) how were they my friend like (laughs) yes had incredible people in my life who weren't Mormon um, and like Jay and my friend Alistair who were gay men like and they were so lovely and like Jay was my rock my foundation like he got me through all this stuff and I was friends with him you know for three years before I left the church and he was friends with me even though I was paying tithing and I was like yeah you know I don't support gay marriage like who what? Like, I just still can't get over the fact that these people were so amazing and still my friends, even though I was not a good person in that sense. Like, it's just amazing. Or just being obnoxious, you know, like being a Mormon and hanging out with non-Mormons and being like, oh, I'm sorry, is that alcohol? I have to leave because the Holy Ghost is gone. Bye. (laughs) You know, like, ew. And that was until I was in my late 20s. Like, it's embarrassing and so cringy. And yet, these people still loved me and were like, that's Sarah. She's a weird Mormon, but we love her. Like, it's incredible. <laughs> I think it says a lot about the level, like the caliber of the people that were our friends and put up with that shit. You know? Yes. Well, yeah. Honestly, like their examples have helped me to be less judgmental towards my friends and family that are still in the church. Because yeah. I have to constantly remind myself they are are brainwashed and this is why they're acting the way that they're acting but that doesn't make them a bad person and I still love them and they do still love me even though their actions aren't feeling like it right now exactly and it's okay to call them out like that's something for me you know my my family either they're some are Mormon or they're just very conservative because they're in the south and they're like religious and even though they say things I'm like ugh it's like I now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, well, I can still call them out because what they're saying actually isn't okay. Yeah. But I don't need to like, you know, be so harsh in terms of like be, you know, like thinking like, oh, I can't even have them in my life type thing. It's like, you know, you can still love them, but you can also call them out on these things at the same time and say that that's harmful or that's not okay. Um, but yeah, it is a good reminder when we have like amazing people in our life who put up with our Mormon judgmental <laughs> ridiculousness. Um, it's like, wow, if they could do it, I can do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I <laughs> 
the aftermath of leaving the church is a whole other story itself that I could spend hours talking about. One thing I do want to say about that is when I told my family I was leaving the church, I finally told them about the sexual abuse. And my mom first said she didn't believe me. And my dad said that if it was happening until I was 14, then I was sinning and that it wasn't abuse because by that age, I should have been able to say no. We did not speak for quite a few months after that, but that just shows the kind of brainwashing the church does to people. I'm starting to regain a better relationship with my parents, especially my mom. And one thing that has really helped me in this is being understanding of the fact that they are still very much brainwashed in this cult and that many of the harmful things that they have said and done are driven by this brainwashing. When I look at their intentions to some of those hurtful things, I realize in a weird way that it's because they love me and they're only acting in the way that their cult is basically telling them to. Not condoning these behaviors or invalidating my feelings, but it still helps me to still have love and compassion for them and not hold on to these grudges. And I'm actually super impressed with my mom lately because When I first left, it was like constantly like crying and shaming me for leaving the church and ruining our family. But she is coming around and starting to accept me. And this last time she visited me, I didn't quote unquote Mormon proof my house and hide the booze. Um, (laughs) And she didn't say anything to me about it. Like she was so respectful. She even like reorganized my apartment I was like recovering from my second COVID shot and she was there and she like reorganized my apartment saw some things that she probably disapproved of but she didn't say anything to me about it and like when we ate meals together she would bow her head and silently pray to herself she didn't ask me to pray with her which was like a huge step and I took that as like you know what she's finally loving me for exactly who I am wow that's great that's such good progress yes really great I'm happy to hear that um it's it sounds like it's a slow process but I think we've all been there with our parents on some level maybe not as extreme but it is a it's a slow burn right like it it takes a while but I think eventually you know they'll they'll come around and it's it, you can both be in a place where you're comfortable to be yourself and it's not this awkward like I remember like what you were saying like when my mom was still giving like you know saying her prayers aloud or like holding her hand out to me because like in the south you like hold hands too mm-hmm. and like, you know across the table and I'd be like oh, okay <laughs> um but now you know she doesn't do that of course like if we have huge family get-togethers like Thanksgiving or something like that yeah will still pray and that's fine but like she doesn't call on me she used to call on me (laughs) and she did it and I was very proud of myself she did it I don't remember at what point but I just politely said no thank you in front of like everyone and I knew that like I'm sure people talk shit about it and were like oh I can't believe she did that especially to like a southern mother but you know it was I I didn't want to do it and I felt like okay not being disrespectful if I just politely decline and still I can bow my head but I don't want to pray um and yeah I think they they come around and they can respect you for the most part obviously this isn't like that with every parent but yeah I'm, I'm happy to hear that your mom is is coming around and that you guys have a um, a much better 
relationship at this point and it's accepting it sounds like when we also have to remember that like the church teaches parents that if their kids go astray and they don't do anything to try and bring them back then they're just as accountable for their kids sins and so that was a hard thing for me I was almost putting shame on myself for that for a little bit because I knew that my parents believed that and that was Mm -hmm. bringing them like great sorrow but like, that's not my responsibility, but it does make me have compassion for the fact that like, that's what they're taught. Yeah. yeah. They are taught that they've done something wrong and that, yeah, our salvation is quote unquote ruined because they haven't saved us or tried hard enough to save us or whatever. So they're victims as well. Yeah. Yeah. It puts a lot of pressure on them. They feel like, yeah, it's their, it's, it's on them that they failed and also I think that goes beyond parents um you're also taught as like members of the church that a friend like close friends go away or whatever that's on you like if you don't do everything you can to save them like you know you have that pressure too um and I was reminded of that today um in an email that a a friend of mine sent me that um basically we had had a falling out because of the church and one of the things is that she was struggling with mental health and she mentioned that that played into it, but she felt a lot of guilt and shame that she couldn't quote unquote save me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because that happens. I mean, especially with close friendships. I know that happened when I, with my brother, when he left the church, when I was younger, I was just like so upset about it and angry and like irrational. And it's because we're taught that it's you felt Like, Mm -hmm. it's on you to save them, and especially with parents as well. Like, there's that extra pressure. So, yeah, Yeah. I think it's important for you uh, that you you pointed that out to us, and it's something to highlight that it's, you know, parents may, like, Mormon parents especially may come across as really harsh, and especially in stories like this, and even close friends, but it's because of this brainwashing and this is what we're taught, you know, that it's on us. It's on our shoulders. If someone leaves the church, it's our responsibility as well. If it's a close family or friend. So true. Mm -hmm. Also when my Bishop at the time got the word that I was leaving the church, he wanted to meet with me immediately to speak to me. I told him about my PTSD and how I believed my Mormon beliefs about my trauma or what caused it. He tried to reassure me that God didn't see that as sexual sin when I was being molested. And I said that I believed I was going to hell because of the inappropriate ways that the Mormon religion talks to children about sex. That's wrong. I also asked him if he considered it a sin, what I did as a teen. And he said, well, yeah, that is a sin, especially since you didn't fully repent. I said, but sexual promiscuity is a symptom of sexual trauma. That was all in response of what happened to me as a kid. And he said, you were past the age of accountability. You could have made a righteous choice regardless of what happened to you before. And I said, well, that's bullshit. I don't believe that. And this is a perfect example of why I'm leaving. I'm clapping to like, yeah, <laughs> perfect response because when I read that, I was so mad that this bishop would say to you, you could have made a righteous choice regardless of what happened to you before. It's like so dismissive and also 
bullshit. So thank you for saying that to him. Yeah, I I remember him like, just like shocked by what I said. And then like looking at my ex-husband like, oh, good luck with her. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you're like, fuck all y'all. Not today, Mormon men. Not today. (laughs) Not today, white Mormon man. Get the fuck out. I am just so impressed with you and just, wow, that's amazing. Well done, Kayla. (laughs) Well done. Is that, is that where you want to end or is there more that you wanted to read? Um, let me see. I just wanted to reiterate that I just hope that this sheds some light on the serious issue that the church has with talking to children about sex and the inappropriate ways that they do that and that my whole life and mental health became fucked up because the amount of guilt and shame that was placed on me for sexual sin all while I was being sexually abused and I know that this church unfortunately isn't going to go away and as much as I like make fun of progressive Mormons that I used to be I really hope that some of those progressive Mormons really fight for um, just like the ways that kids are talked to about sex. I know that some of them have been like doing that and I hope it continues because like these children like probably aren't going to leave the church as kids, but they are going to be traumatized going through that. And so I just hope at least some of that changes. Yeah. It needs to change. And like you made such a good point that I think if all three of us and maybe people listening, if we could, we'd just say, let's, I just want the Mormon church to go away. But realistically, that's not going to happen. So yeah, I guess progressive Mormons do have a very important role where they can help in situations like this, hopefully, hopefully, because yeah, we don't want more children to experience this, this kind of thing. Yeah. Everything you two said, you guys said it brilliantly, and I have nothing to say. Kayla, you've made me speechless, which we all know is a hard thing to do. So, <laughs> Chatty Kathy is no longer existing today. So, I love your Chatty Kathy myth. Every time you mention that, like, or you apologize for it, I'm like, stop. I love this. Like, that's one of the things that sucks me into it. And when you guys, jump right to the topic I'm sometimes like oh I wanted to hear about what was going on in their lives (laughs) they like your chatty Kathiness I told you (laughs) yes I love it (laughs) well in that case let me get a bottle of wine and let's keep talking Uh, just kidding (laughs) you guys I won't next time next time Wow. I, I, again, I just want to say like how impressed and proud of you I am, like in the fact that we're able to have this conversation with you and you've shared your story. It's so brave. It's so incredible. Um, it's going to obviously relate to so many people, Kayla, and, and your story is what's going to help a lot of people. And, yeah. you know, as we've said from day one, Katie and I, when we created this podcast, it wasn't just about sharing our stories, but we really wanted to make a point that we could get as many stories out there to as many people, because if anything, that's what's going to make a change and a difference is hearing firsthand these stories of how the church has affected us in so many different ways and how it continues to do so. And if we don't talk about it, it's not going to go away. 
And I think the more we continue to share stories like yours, and we're so grateful to have you on the podcast today and incredibly yeah. honored. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, thank you for like giving this platform to people. And like, honestly, like when I started listening to this back in, I think it was November, I like religiously listened to it and I have finally like gotten through all the episodes, but it really helped me in my healing process because I was finally finding stories that I could relate to. So I really appreciate both of you. Oh my God, all the good feels. And I'm also just so happy that you found some healing and it just seems like you're kicking ass obviously with everything that you're doing. So you're very inspiring for people who are maybe going through a lot of these horrible feelings and situations. You, I think you're going to give them hope. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And with that, I think we'll end, uh, but we'll be back next week with more. So we'll we'll talk to you later. Talk to you guys later. Have a great week and wash your damn hands. Bye. (laughs) Bye.